welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's online world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone. I'm Darren, and I'm so excited to be your host. I really am. And many of our listeners will ask us, why a podcast? Well, it's because of our online friends and followers asked us to, right? And they they said, you know, have you ever thought about a podcast? And for those who don't know me, I love the challenge of learning a new skill, especially when it comes to the online world. So boom, I began my learning journey. And what better way to learn about a new skill than heading over to YouTube? That's what our kids do when they want to learn a new skill. So why shouldn't we boomers or what the kids like to call boomers do the same thing? And more importantly, I was also guided by my digital Yoda. Brandon. And for those of you who don't know who Brandon is, he's also a white hatter and more importantly, my son. And really, he's the digital brains behind our family company. Now, in these podcasts, I'm going to take a more free-flowing approach to the important topics that I will be discussing. And I want to add more of a human element to our discussions with the ability to go off on relevant tangents because I'm known to do that quite often in, in our live presentations that we do in schools and businesses. In other words, I want to be more asymmetrical in our podcast and thus allow free-flowing approach to the topics that we are going to be discussing. So in our first podcast, I want to talk about youth, teens, and screen time, especially now that summer is upon us. Ooh, screen time. Now, why did I use that scary voice? Because there's a real push by some special interest groups to demonize screen time. In fact, many of these special interest groups like to get parents to reminisce about what it was like when we were kids and apply those thoughts and feelings to how youth today should be spending their leisure time. You know, I'm sure parents who are listening right now can remember when our parents said things to us like, when I was your age, this is what I did during my summer holidays. You know, however, when we were teens, the internet, social media, and digital technology either did not exist or was very limited in its accessibility and use. Remember, the iPhone was first sold in 2007, so it has only been around now for about 14 years. Like That's hard to believe because it feels like the iPhone or cell phones have been around forever. However, today's generation of youth is the first generation to be raised in a digital world where they know nothing but digital. In fact, this is why attempting to apply past norms and behaviors from our youth specific to leisure time has very little relevance to teens in their online world today. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some challenges to screen time that can lead to problematic behaviors, not addiction. There's a difference between the two, and we're going to dedicate a whole podcast to some of the issues where people are using this word addiction at a later date. But what are the good researchers like Dr. Catherine Nibbs and Dr. Sonia Livingston, both who are social researchers who specialize in studying the habits of youth online, what are they actually saying about youth and screen time? Their message? 
it's not about how much time our kids are spending online. It's more about what are they doing with that time that is most important. In other words, the question should be for parents, are our kids passively consuming social media, something that I like to call digital bubblegumming for the brain, or are they being producers and creators of social media, which spawns creativity and critical thinking? As Professor Sonia Livingston has stated, the measurement shouldn't be screen time, but rather their screen activity, an important differentiation that is again important for parents and caregivers to understand. In fact, the Canadian Pediatrics Association uh, has changed its position on screen time, as has many other pediatric organizations around the world. In fact, Michelle Ponte, the chair of the Canadian Pediatric Society's Digital Health Task Force, stated, We really wanted to highlight that content, context, and kids' individual traits are more important than specific screen time limits. Again, an important differentiation. Now, I'm not saying that parents should allow unrestricted free-range consumption of technology. Rather, what I am suggesting is that a balanced use of technology, the internet, social media, and online gaming should be the goal, what psychologist Jocelyn Brewer calls a blended online approach. However, our first step in creating this balanced and blended approach is for us parents and caregivers to understand how our kids are actually using technology that they now possess. There are three basic ways that youth and teens are using technology in today's online world. Notice I said on life, a term coined by Professor Luciano Floridi. Although most parents and caregivers still separate the digital world from the real world, to our kids, it's just one world, or what is known as the on-life world, where there is no separation. Again, an important differentiation that parents need to understand. So, how are our kids using technology? They're doing so in three basic ways. The first way they're using technology is for social purposes. And this category includes using social media to stay connected with friends via text messaging or interacting with their peers on a social network like Instagram, Snapchat, Discord, or engaging in an activity they enjoy like online gaming. The second way they're engaging with technology is through the use of technology to increase physical and active use in their lives. And this is where a teen can integrate technology to become more physical active both inside and outside of the home using apps such as Ring Fit and exercising action role-playing game for the Nintendo Switch or Pokemon Go or geocaching use a mobile device which is like a real-time treasure hunt out in the quote real world the third way they're using technology right now is in a creative and an educational use of technology. And this is where youth use technology to learn coding. Like why just play a game when they can learn how to build one using coding? In fact, if a youth can code Python, HTML, C++, or JavaScript, which are the binary language of the internet, by the time they graduate from high school, there are employers in our country that will hire them right on the spot. In fact, qualified coders are the number one in-demand skill set employers are looking for in today's world, both in Canada and the United States, or how they're using technology to create a personal website where youth create their own digital branding that they can control for sport, college, university, and job opportunities and to share their interests with others, or learning how to type, which will allow them to code faster, or creating how-to videos on YouTube, or creating podcasts like the one that I'm doing right now that is specific to their age group to talk about things that interest them, or to even watch educational shows and documentaries to increase their awareness of today's world. 
Now that we have these three identified categories, let's place them into a ranking specific to daily online activities that we recommend as a starting point to create a balanced and blended approach to technology use this summer. However, an important caveat, before we allow the daily use of tech, specific morning activities need to be completed first. And this again is important. So before we let any of our kids start using their technology the day of their awakening, you know what, before they can use any technology, they have to eat breakfast first without technology. In fact, we recommend that you should never allow technology at the table for any meal, be it breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Why? Because the good evidence-based peer-reviewed research shows us that mealtime is some of the best time for families to bond with one another, to talk about what is going on in their lives, which is, again, really important. And by the way, parents, this is important for you as well, because guess what? Kids will model our behavior. If if parents are using their technology during breakfast, lunch, or dinner, guess what our kids are going to do? They're going to model that behavior. So we adults, we need to start modeling good digital citizenship as well. So after they eat their breakfast, it's now time to clean themselves, right? Like take a shower, brush their teeth, get dressed. The next thing is to clean their bedrooms and then make their beds. And the next one is to complete at least one or more daily chores, which could include vacuuming, doing dishes, taking out garbage, making a meal, doing the laundry. You know, these are all life skills needed when they get older and decide to leave the nest. And these are all things that should be done before any technology is allowed to be used by the child at the time that they awaken in the morning. So what kind of time frame do we want to place on these tech-based activities Again, here are some of my suggestions. When it comes to the creative and educational use of technology, that's where they're using it to learn how to code or create a website or learn how to podcast, right? We're recommending anywhere from between three to four hours of, of, of screen activity specifically dedicated to that specific aspect. When it comes to the social use of technology, again, this is where they're using technology to text one another or you know, communicating with one another on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is that they're doing, we recommend that they only get two hours of social use. But here's what's important. If your child has reached the two hour social activity limit, then unless they now switch over to the creative uh, educational or physical use of their technology, then there's no more screen activity for the day unless the parent gives permission. Again, we would recommend that this permission is the exception rather than the rule. So again, once they've reached their two hour limit of when it comes to using social media or their technology in a social way, then it stops unless they're now going to transition over to using it from a creative standpoint or for the purpose of integrating into some form of physical activity, which brings up the third component, which is the physical activity use. And here we recommend about an hour, right? And this is where we want the kids every single day, right? To either go for a bike ride, go for a run, a walk, go for a swim, skateboard, walk the dog, shoot some basketball hoops, kick a soccer ball, learn how to play an instrument, or using technology to get some active outside of the house, such as getting involved in geocaching using their technology, which I think is really cool and something that you can do together as a family. I mean, how cool is that? Now, some kids will say, mom, dad, you're kind of cramping my use of technology. 
But when you do the math, this approach actually adds up to a total of about five to six hours of tech use per day, four hours of which are encouraging teens to become producers and creators of content, and also to become more physically active through the integration of technology. Only two hours are dedicated to passive consumption of content with friends or for the purposes of relaxation and fun, what we like to call digital bubblegumming. And let's be honest. We all need time to decompress, and technology can be a great adjunct to making this happen. However, we find that too many parents utilize technology as a consumption-based digital pacifier with their kids, which is never healthy and should be avoided whenever possible. Now, some parents who are listening are thinking, five to six hours of screen time a day? Are you kidding me? That's a lot of time, isn't it, Darren? But if you consider that during the summer break, most youth like to sleep in late and go to bed late, most will average about 12 hours of wake time each day. If you adopt our suggestions specific to screen activity, that means your child still has six plus hours of unused wake time for other tech-free family activities, such as family day trip or heading downtown to walk the shops or even to go out for an ice cream. Once you frame the concept of a balanced and blended approach to screen activity and the fact that you are doing or what you're doing is allowing them up to five to six hours of tech time each day, it will help your child to understand what a balanced online approach to technology should be and why. Remember, None of these times associated with each category is set in stone. They need to remain flexible to meet the individual needs of each family. You can even split the times throughout the day. As an example, when it comes to the creative and educational use of technology, you can provide one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon and one hour in the early evening. In fact, some days you may allow even more time for social activity, but this should be the exception rather than the norm for younger, uh, for youth and younger teens, right? But remember, we want to concentrate on the creativity and educational use of technology rather than treating it like a digital babysitter or digital bubblegum. Again, we're not saying that every day needs to be a full tech day. In fact, we encourage families to have a digital sabbatical at least once or even twice a month where there is no use of technology for the day. Sometimes it's okay to kick it up old school is what we like to say. So how do we, how do we know when we've reached an online screen activity balance or our kids have reached that balance? Well, you know what? We turned to Dr. Sonia Livingston once again, who stated that if you can answer yes to the following five questions as a parent or caregiver, then you found the screen activity balance. And so here are the five questions. Number one, is my child physically healthy and sleeping enough? Question number two, is my child connecting socially with family and friends in any form? Question number three, is my child engaged with an end achieving a personal goals at home and at school? Number four, is my child pursuing interests and hobbies in any form, whatever those form may be, which includes digital? And is my child having fun and learning in their use of digital technology? So if you can answer yes to those five questions, then you found nirvana, right? You found that digital balance that we're looking to create with our kids. By quickly establishing a balanced on-life routine, it is extremely important to do it. Why? Be before your kids make the passive social consumption of technology a habitual routine, then we want to use the recommendations in this podcast to help create a flexible and balanced online screen activity standard, especially during the summer months. Some other important thoughts. Have your kids 
play a part in this process and allow them to have agency in how this process will evolve. Why? Because this will help to create buy-in from your child, which is really important. Because it's important for us to remember as parents and caregivers that when we share our concerns with our kids about their on-life world, we should do so in a way that ties into where they are today and is relevant to their life and appeals to their intelligence and experience. As I end this podcast, some important caveats I think that are important for both parents and caregivers. Number one, throughout this process, remember to enforce no tech in the bedroom or bathroom, especially at night. Like this should be an a uh, uh, rule that every family follows. Why? Because it's been our experience as online investigators that when things go wrong, when your kids get involved in less than desirable behavior, it usually looks like this in almost every situation. Teen in their bedroom at night, internet access unsupervised. So again, we strongly recommend throughout this entire process and even in, in their everyday lives that they do not have access to their technology in their bedrooms. That includes cell phones, computers, laptops, even gaming consoles. Like a lot of parents don't know that gaming consoles allow individuals to chat with one another. Number two, all tech use must stop at least 30 minutes, if not one hour before going to bed. And here's the reason why. You know, the old thinking with respect to technology is that it was blue light, which is the main uh, cause of, of not being able to sleep well. Well, in fact, current research is proving that is not in fact true. And again, again, we're going to dedicate a whole podcast to that specific issue later on. But really what is happening is this, you know, when I'm a gamer, I love gaming. When I game, my brain is switched on. It is dropping adrenaline, noradrenaline, epinephrine, cortisol into the brain. It is turning the brain on. It is switched on. It is highly energized. So if your child is gaming right up till 10 o'clock and let's say their bedtime is at 10 o'clock, if all of a sudden they start stop gaming at 10 and now they put their head to pillow, their brain is still switched on. It's still highly engaged, which makes it really, really, really hard for their brain to go to sleep. I kind of use this analogy. Like how many of you have ever um, thinking about something you got to do the next day? You head to bed, you can't stop thinking about it. And as a result of that, you don't get a good night's sleep. Well, that's exactly what's happening with our kids where they're engaging with themselves or their friends online, especially when it comes to online gaming. So what the psychologists and psychiatrists have shared with us is that the whole goal and what the research is now showing us is that we need time for the brain to decompress or slow down. So this is why getting our kids off of their technology a minimum of 30 minutes, if not an hour before going to bed, is so important because it allows time for the brain to decompress. It allows time for the brain to slow down, which means that when they do put their head to pillow, they're going to fall asleep quicker and sleep is important and again we're going to be talking about tech and sleep issues in another podcast down the road. Number three when it comes to screen activity mix it up and don't forget to have a digital sabbatical at least once a month whereas a family there is no use of tech for the day that's okay. So on behalf of the White Hatter team, I want to thank the parents, the caregivers, the educators, and even teens who may be listening to this podcast. I've included links to several articles that put more meat on the bone on the topics that were discussed in today's podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca where there's a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers in today's online world, as well as programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Remember, be your child's best parent and not their best friend. When it comes to their use of technology, there is a difference. Are your kids going to like 
that you're going to create some goalposts when it comes to the use of technology? Probably not. Oh well, that's what makes us parents. And sometimes we parents have to say and do things our kids aren't going to like. Stay strong, be that mentor, be that digital sheepdog, and I look forward to our next podcast. Bye from the White Hatter team.